Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. There is no question that building and scaling sales teams is crucial for founders. And as the founder of For Startups, Ali Baker is equipped to talk about this and a range of topics associated with startups evolving from idea to revenue, then being able to scale beyond that stage. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable. So let's get to it and meet Ali. I'm Ali Baker. I'm an advisor and founder of Four Startups. So we are a consulting company. We consult founders on how to scale their business, specifically on how to build that sales engine that is so vital to the scaling process. Ali, you talk about the, the sales engine straight away, and it would be in a the glint of an eye of a founder or a co-founder who then has to work out how they take an intention to actually executing that. Can you deconstruct that sales engine and explain how you think about it in the sense of keeping the founder and the co-founders engaged, but also making sure that the right capability comes into that? So my background is as a sales director that, uh, you know, I've been in, in sales since I was, I don't know, 11, <laughs> I think. And, uh, and so I was promoted to being sales director at, at quite a young age. And through these kind of sales leadership positions at all of these different different startups and even building different sales teams within uh, within one startup, let's say, um, I was always nervous that my experience and my skills wouldn't necessarily apply to this type of sale, that type of, of salesperson, this type of sales process. But I applied what I knew and I applied my experience and, and built that, that sales team um, and I was always, you know, it's quite a good feeling inside when you're like, ah, oh, this is working. This is great. Um, and I realized that over time that I was applying the same set of processes and this kind of what I call the, sa- the sales engine is really the, these set of processes all working together. Uh, and that was actually the, the building blocks of what I now call sales engineering, uh, which is essentially what we do with, with founders is teaching them these building blocks of, of what consists of sales engineering and, and how to engineer your team for, for growth. Um, and so that was just a little bit of background in terms of what it actually consists of. Uh, is, uh, it's, it's quite interesting because it doesn't just consist of sales skills. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the, the best salesperson. It consists of, of this constant integration of people, processes, your product, um, all working together. And so there are, you know, when I work with founders, there's a lot of common uh, kind of pitfalls that they, that they fall into when they're going from the quite critical milestone of being the, the, being the salesperson. As a founder, you're often the first person to have to sell your product. Uh, to actually taking that huge leap, that critical milestone of actually hiring the next person. <laughs> and, and that's when it's, it's so important to, to get a lot of these, uh, get a lot of these processes, processes right. How do you think that the trust step is made? And especially thinking about as we're, we're living right now, we're on a, a call different parts of the world and people having to, I think, now start to get used to 
more and more remote access, even when we start to get back to what was close to normal. But people are going to need to take your advice and to make those changes, but not being able to sit face to face and to read the body language the same. How's that going to work in a, in a Zoom world? Yeah, I think that's the that's the golden question that everyone's been asking these days. And I think that startups are are at least positioned in the in the best position, you know, in the best scenario to be able to make that work the best. They are already quite innovative and agile, you know, the con- the the most consistent thing with a startup is is change, I think. And so having to make these these quick adjustments to uh having all of your sales calls uh, virtually building these kind of relationships, I think it's something that they can they can quite easily adapt to. Um, I think for startups, it's incredible because it opens up the the doors to being able to build your team from from anywhere. You know, you can look at your not only expand your clients to to anywhere much faster. Um, it forces you to really think out of the box and and uh, pull in skills and expertise from all over the world. Not that you couldn't do that before, but it, it really opens the opens the doors. Yeah, that's an interesting point about it actually broadens the the reach. It's a few years ago now, I worked with a startup for three years. I was based in Sydney and I was working around the Asia-Pac region, very distributed organization. And at that stage, we didn't have the tools or the, or the technologies, but we had the discipline. And the discipline from the leadership of the company would have survived any challenges. And you knew, and I still remember it now, being in Sydney, a Boston-based company, 6 a.m. every Tuesday, I was on a call. Non-negotiable. That's just how it was. So that sort of discipline, I expect that the founders having to drive to create their new ventures, they bring that discipline with them. So to be able to drive it and create a global team, in some ways, might be a little bit easier because the technology is there. You touched on processes, though. So when you talk about processes and you sit down with with people and, and start to understand how you can bring the discipline of a sales process, the discipline of a sales methodology. How do you start that conversation? And could you maybe talk about an example of where it went ridiculously well, but also maybe share one where there was a dead set bump in the road? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that a common challenge for, for founders is if they don't necessarily have the background in sales, uh, you know, whether they're a technical background, a financial background, you know, an expert within their field, Sales isn't often one of those areas of, of expertise. Um, so I think one of the challenges from the very beginning is just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and so diving into the world of sales, um, which is, you know, this emotional roller coaster in general, um, is, is the first step for sure. Um, and then understanding what those processes are. So for instance, one of the, the most common challenges that that founders really go through. And I've seen it. Um, I did an analysis of, of common challenges of, of all my clients. And this was, I think, 90% there. Um, so it happens all the time. Um, is making the, the first hire. And it's not necessarily a process, but what you need to know is what your sales type is before making that, before making that hire. So an example of that is you know, even just knowing all the different types of salespeople there are, you know, there are those that thrive in short lead time, long lead time, account management, um, you know, transactional sales, high value sales. There are a million different types. And once you open that can of worms and say, which type do you want? You're like, oh God, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> I don't know. 
didn't know there were so many different types of salesperson. I was speaking to this, you know, speaking to this chap and he had really great chat. And so, you know, it sounded great. That's the first pitfall to avoid is hiring the wrong type of salesperson for the role that you have. Um, and it's, it's figuring out really what is, what is best because otherwise what will happen is you will hire someone who's really good at long lead time account management for a role that you can uh, make a sale in a, in a phone call. Uh, but because of their skills and their expertise, they won't have the, necessarily the same urgency that um, that someone uh, should have in a in a kind of quick lead time, um, and you know it'll it'll extend it to to their way instead of the right way. Does that mean that you're at times sitting across the table from someone who has a certain perception about their not necessarily their their innovation, but the executive that might care about their innovation and how almost instantaneously expect them to see that this is the path to the answer. So they might see a short lead time, but you're having to educate them to say, no, actually, this is how a complex sales cycle works. So you're actually having to do sales training almost on the run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of within startups, there's, there's sometimes you're building a product that's never been built before. Right. So you don't necessarily have the, uh, the examples to say, this is the, this is the type it is. So maybe part of your sales process is actually educating your audience first on the industry, the potential, the, you know, the, the challenges. And if you hire someone who doesn't have that education experience, they will dive into just trying to, you know, hawk the product when they're, we're not even close to being able to sell this yet. We have to really build this audience and build and, and educate them on why this matters before even getting to that point. So it's a, it's a, it's a common, common challenge. One of the, one of the examples, as you, you asked previously of, you know, of a situation where a startup wasn't necessarily ready to, to have that process is I was working with a, a satellite imagery uh, company and they were selling satellite imagery to use for all. And so this is this is a similar case, kind of like Google Maps, where uh, when you were using Google Maps, the first thing you look at when you go to Google Maps is is your house. You know, you, you go on, you're like, oh, this is so cool. I can see Google Earth. You're like, I can see my house. Um, but the potential of it is is absolutely massive. And once you start applying it to different businesses, it becomes more of a mainstream. And so this was a company that was using satellite imagery um, to mainstream, and you know, making the that's something that really takes a lot of education, a lot of breaking down, a lot of um, teaching to the clients on on how to actually use this uh, use this software. Um, and being able to, you know, they hired unfortunately a salesperson at the time who couldn't necessarily make that make that connection. But once they discovered that this was actually a key part in the in the process, then they were able to redesign their recruitment process, find someone who does have that experience, and it, and it worked out really well. Can I put a, a, a dimension that maybe brings additional complexity to it? And that is, if a founder's there and you're working with them and they're starting to work out how to grow their pipeline and their sales and what have you, and they're also looking for investment, they're looking for capital. And maybe in one conversation, they're saying, we're, we're building this 10-year business, 20-year business. And on the other side, they're going, but I don't know if we need any salespeople. If we do, we need one person. So how do you bridge the gap between the intent and the vision, how they start, and how they start with a view to meeting that vision? Oh, that is a great question. And that is something that every single startup has to deal with, I think, which is it's okay to have a short-term goal, which is entirely different than your long-term vision. And that is so important. 
you know, a lot of a lot of companies want to start out building a sales team, but then say, you know, this isn't scalable. We need this all to be automated in order to grow. I'm like, that's great, but you won't grow until you have a sales team now that starts to actually sell your product. You know, what you are now for the next year will not be what you end up to be. And I think just understanding that that's okay and and being able to do short-term initiatives to achieve that bigger long-term goal is is incredible. And you might, you know, it might unlock so many different opportunities of of where your uh kind of your business slash you know, your empire can can go if you're if you're building different revenue streams. I have always been a fan of making sure you have multiple different revenue streams within a business. And lots of people find that a kind of a controversial um opinion because it takes it distracts you from from the main goal. However, it also secures if you find a repeatable repeatable sales process that is a reliable revenue generator uh, during the process where you're trying to figure out product market fit on another side, uh, it really, first of all, you, it secures your revenue to, in order to, to build that. Um, and it, it looks great for investment for future investors. Uh, but it also teaches you about your clients, your audience way more if you're being, if you're able to, to actually build a different vision in the short run in order to make that vision uh, come to life in the long run. It's an interesting challenge. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the challenge and the answer, if it was flipped around, is maybe the the challenge for a lot of mature technology companies that have a long legacy. I don't mean that in a bad way, but to be able to go from having a a traditional approach to market, people having a traditional perception of your value, and then to be able to go and break into those new conversations to get other people to recognize you can solve the new problem. It's in some ways it, there's a lot of similarity between the two. And I think uh, there's a mixture between, you know, patience uh, and building blocks. You know, you do need to walk before you run and building that foundation is so important. And I harp on about it all the time, you know, in terms of building your processes, uh, building your foundation, building your client base, get it right the first time. And it will seem like it takes so long and, it, you know, and it's sweat and tears go into making sure that process is right. But you will be able to skyrocket when you get that right. And you'll be able to scale and you'll be thanking yourself. You spent the year building that process properly um, versus the, the five years later trying to undo broken processes that, that you've been going on for, for years. So it's definitely worth it. I've never heard the word patience said, and it mean mean as much to me as when you said it, because you think about the startup's world and it's all this guy, we've got this great idea, we understand the market. People need us desperately, and you're saying, "Well, just hang on, just just take account of, of where you are." And and what I've seen, one of my favorite books is Crossing the Chasm, and it in, it talks about that move from having those those early adopters who just fall in love with innovation, but to go across the chasm to where the buyer is looking for business value and being able to explain the business value to the buyer. Can you maybe speak to some examples where you've had to work with companies? to help them actually make very tangible in a business sense what that means. And when you talk about business value, how you talk about that. Unfortunately, I, I come sometimes as a, as a bearer of bad news. Um, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, we have all these great, uh, great clients. Everyone's buying it, especially if they're giving it away for free. That's the worst. I was like, oof, I'm going to have to break something to you. Uh, you know, as soon as you start charging for this, unfortunately, you will see a drop. <laughs> and they're like, you know, and everyone gets so excited. You know, we have 10% of our, of our audience bought in right away. And then I have to remind them of, of that analogy that, that you just said, which is, you know, the 10% are, are the easiest to get. 
you know, you have those 10% super eager innovators that are looking for that next, uh, looking for that next piece of technology ready for their industry. And then it's after that where people start, you know, the clients start actually asking questions, you know, they're like, why is this of value to me? And you have to be prepared to be able to answer, uh, answer those questions with a really strong case study and really strong foundation to be able to, to back it up. And, and that's the, the feedback loop also in terms of improving your product and making sure that you really have something uh, set in stone for, for the audience. What was, your, what was the, the, the question of, of the example? Sorry. Uh, about business value and to be able to say that, to be able to help the, the startups that you're working with, to be able to explain the business value, essentially in the language of the industry or of the, the layer of the organization versus you've got to look at my solution. You've just got to fall in love with it. It's a case of, well, actually, I understand your annual, annual report. I've read it. I see where the deficiencies are. I know how to help you correct an imbalance in your financial results and to be able to have that conversation in the language of the, of the executive and the customer. I follow the same process. This is one of them that I apply to every single, every single company, because as you can imagine, I work with every industry. Um, and I can't be an expert on, on every industry. So I have this, this kind of workshop that I do with, with them, which is called the, the which means workshop. And so you identify who your target audience is, right? So you could have maybe three different uh, you know, groups that you're going after. So you pick the first one, and then you map out all of the features that your product has. Then you map out which benefit that means to the, to the feature. And then you add a third column, which is the which means for this audience. And for every benefit and feature, you have to write down, you have to think about what this actually means for this specific person. And so I think of you know, sales and marketing working closely together, where marketing is the first benefit. And then sales is the which means to that person linking the two together. And this is the, the part that unfortunately gets missed 90% of the time because they're like, oh, this is its great benefit. This is its feature. Buy it. Or even, you know, if they do it properly and start with the benefit first and then, you know, say, say the feature, it's still not um, completely custom tailored to that value of that person. And I think if for a founder trying to really scale their, their product, build the, the sales engine from the beginning, if they don't have much sales experience, this is one of those easy kind of tangible things that they can sit down and say, okay, let me map out what this means to this specific person. I, I like that. And I'll, I'll refer to the simplicity of it as a compliment, because what you just described is, is something that I could imagine that if it was the first time I'd seen or been in such a conversation, I know how to participate in it. And then I know what to do after that as well. So that would almost become a dashboard for you, I could imagine, with, with your customers, with your clients. A lot of what I do isn't rocket science. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, but it, when you're highlighting even a sale, it's just the, the explanation of benefits of a product. You know, it's, not, it's not this huge, complex thing. However, there is a science mixed with art to it. Uh, and it, once you talk about what those are and once you highlight what those are, uh, it becomes, you know, it becomes quite not a scary topic anymore. And it's that experience that I'm sure that you bring to it that takes the complexity of the execution through to completion. That's where the nuances become more important. Exactly. And that's when, uh, you know, for instance, if you're setting up a team and you're hiring someone who doesn't necessarily have that experience, um, a lot of the times the first hire ends up being someone with industry experience versus someone with sales experience, which is probably the worst thing you can do as a first hire. Um, because it's not necessarily that you have the blind leading the blind, but uh, when at, at the beginning of, of setting up these processes, the first salesperson is responsible for so much more 
than just selling. They're responsible for, for really paving the way and, and leading the way into what you will inevitably, uh, take away in the, uh, you know, in, in the years to follow that. Uh, so it's making sure that you don't fall into the kind of common pitfalls that a lot of founders fall into. Ali, that makes me think about the, uh, there's a fork in the road there where the new hires are, are brought on board and there's success, but there are new hires are brought on board that there needs to be some course correction. How do you work with the founders? Because that becomes a very difficult thing to do in any time, in any life. But if you're there, start a new startup, first person on, you're only seeing good things and, and gold in the hills, you become coach and mentor as much as advisor? Yeah, Absolutely. I call what I do also very hands-on consulting. It's um, it's a lot of founders don't have the time to learn the how to be a sales manager, how to be a salesperson, how to be a sales director, uh, all of these different different skill sets. And as much as I would love them to be experts in in the field very quickly, um, they just don't. It's just not realistic. So a lot of what I do is is coaching, but it's also just doing um, where it says okay. You need this CRM system or you need the, these kind of sales enablement uh, tools for your team. This is a non-negotiable uh, if you want your team to, to be successful. Uh, either I'm going to build it or, or you build it. We find someone to build it. Either way, they, they need it. Um, but you know, when, it, when you hire that first salesperson and they're doing great, and then all of a sudden something, something happens where you have to have those, uh, have to have those tough conversations. I always say it's the prepping at the beginning that makes it so much easier. You know, if you're tracking all of that data, if you're, um, if you have those KPIs of what good looks like for the, for that team, then having those conversations is so much easier because you you can show them data and you can show them information on where they were before and how they're slipping versus a lot of uh, a lot of companies aren't necessarily tracking what they what they need to and then all of a sudden sales drop and and they have no idea why and they also don't know why sales were making were being made in the first place which is which is tough. That's an interesting observation, actually. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you have a comment or some commentary around social channels and and how you advise or how you counsel the the best way to leverage uh, social media? The combination and the partnership between sales and marketing has historically uh, been not so strong and has lately been... Uh, been a huge uh, force within the startup world, especially. Um, being able to leverage all of that data, being able to learn so much about your target audience before speaking to them. Um, it, it positions salespeople in, in such an incredible way that was never, uh, you know, never possible before. And when I started out in sales, and I'm not that old, but we didn't uh, really even use LinkedIn. We had a list of people and a phone and we just called them uh, and then found out everything through questioning and building rapport and, and trying to, uh, you know, read trade in magazines to understand the industry. And now it's so much easier. Um, I think the, the challenge is that it could ma- maybe make people a little bit lazy um, where you don't necessarily, you're so used to being able to kind of skim their LinkedIn profile. You don't really take the time to, to read what that means and to, to use it. You know, there's so much information out there now. Um, not a lot of salespeople are being able to apply it directly to, to their pitch and kind of tailor it accordingly. So I think there's a, a balance between what's available to you and how to actually use it. 
an example would, would be I, I went on a rant the other day um, because I was getting so many LinkedIn messages, um, like connections, and, and they were all quite relevant. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, this is interesting. I have a little bit of time. Maybe I'll actually get back to them and, and understand what they, what they have. And it went days and days, sometimes weeks, and no one got back to me. And it's obviously these bots that are being sent out for lead generation. And, and that's totally fine. It was relevant. And I'm happy with, I, I, I'm the best person to sell to. I'm the easiest. Um, and, uh, and then no one got back to me. And I think that there are so many gaps like that where you invest so much in this marketing side, but you then you drop the ball on the follow up, uh, on the, on the tough part where you actually have to, have to give them a call and, and follow up with them. So I think it's just being conscious of the, of the whole process versus just one part of it. Yeah, you've just hit on a, an element that is is so interesting to me and uh, anybody that's spoken to me for any short period of time and it's about to happen to you will hear me talk about Seth Godin and as a as a marketer and and I I just uh, I, I connect with his messages or his messages connect with me and and he talks about the smallest viable audience and the way I interpret that and take it on board is that if you truly know your value you'll be able to identify the person rather than just standing in the middle of Main Street and just yelling and hoping that somebody hears. So I'm with you. Like if the bots come, that's fine. That's just that's how the universe spins. But the other part of that is if we know what our value is, we should be approaching the person being able to explain the business value that we can actually bring to the table. Absolutely. And it's, it's, been, it's been going on. It's an age-old challenge. You know, people going to conferences and not following up with leads, uh, you know, getting one part right and not necessarily being able to finish it. And so I think when the, 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 the best thing that, that companies can do is make sure you have all of the, you know, similar to the, the round table. This is exactly it. You have to have all the relevant people sitting around a round table and discussing the, the entire journey from A to Z, exactly how are we going to um, really capture this audience from, from the beginning to end, because it, it's not just one part of it. Um, it's, and that's going back to kind of sales engineering. You, you have to have the whole piece. You can't just choose bits and pieces that, that you want and expect it to, to work. I have a lot of clients who, who say they, you know, okay, sales targets. Yeah, that's on the list. We need to have that. Okay. Super ambitious targets, but I'm not going to give the team any incentive to hit that target. You're like, mm. You can't, you can't really have one without the other uh, if, you, if you want to expect those. And so it's, it's just like saying, I want to invest a lot in marketing, but not invest a lot in sales. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's, that might not work out for you. <laughs> you know? I do. And I must say that the, uh, the, the areas that you've been able to share and been very generous with you, your thoughts on, it, it almost feels like you've summarized better than I could have summarized for us. The place that you've taken it through from how to think about starting with a founder who might be too sure how to start, how to help them focus, how to think through the industry, all the way through to being able to bring a balance, almost a balanced scorecard in some ways, to their execution in the field. That's been a wonderful walk that you've taken us through in this conversation. And, and I want to just thank you so much for being that generous. And I hope that we can pick up on another time and, and have a further discussion along this line. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It was terrific to speak with Ali, and I gained fresh insights from her approach to helping founders scale. Feel free to get in touch. Maybe you would like to provide feedback or even suggest a future guest. But that's it for today. Thank you and bye for now.